The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Hey everybody, welcome and good to have you along for another edition of the Disability Law Show. Tamar Agopian is here, courtesy Sam Firu Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in this country. When we're not doing the show, you can reach out to uh, Tamar anytime, one 855 821 5900. That is how help at disabilityrights.ca and ask more questions anytime anonymously with your keyboard or your phone at uh, tablet. Mydisabilityquestions.com is how you do that. Lots of questions and emails to get through on the show tomorrow. It's already starting to, uh, to build up, so we'll get through some of them. But uh, first, you got something to chat about. Uh, what's, what's going on with you, Belle? I do. Thanks, John. Uh, always happy to start off the show with. Uh, you know, things that have happened this week. And this mm-hmm. week, something interesting came up. And it's sort of a tale of, please contact us sooner than later. So <laughs> here goes. Uh, I was speaking, speaking to this really lovely woman. She was a long service uh, employee for uh, a particular company, which mm-hmm. I'm going to keep all of this sort of general and, and uh, keep her privacy uh, private, John. But in general terms, she developed some health issues that prevented her from working a few years back. And she went through the process with her employer to try and get accommodations and a variety of things to see whether or not she could continue working despite her health issues. And as it unfortunately sometimes does, her doctor recommended, look, you really just can't. You need to stop working uh, and start a disability claim. And so she'd been on that path for a little while. And as insurance companies do, her claim got cut off at some point. So she actually hired another firm to represent her to help her with her disability claim, again, which I will not uh, disclose. And they had resolved uh, the disability claim, uh, but she had come to us, this particular individual, to talk to us about, look, now that I've resolved the disability claim, what do I do with my employment claim? Great, super fair question. We talked it through. Uh, And then partway through the conversation, she disclosed some elements of her resolution with the disability insurer that unfortunately would prevent her from pursuing her employer. Okay. Mm, And so the takeaway here is, folks, look, you really want to think about who am I retaining to help me with my claims, whether it be employment or disability. Our firm specializes in both, and we do that for very specific reasons, not only because we have fantastic lawyers on our team uh, who have really great success on both sides of the fence, but it's also because these two areas of law intersect quite a bit, John, and when they do, it's super important to have the right representation so that one element can consider the other element. In other words, You don't want to reach a resolution for either one of your disability or employment claims and then find out later that you can't pursue one of those options because you just didn't get the right advice from the start. And so it can be difficult. You know, people are looking around and thinking, look, who's going to be able to help me here? And absolutely, there's lots of firms out there who are doing the, the same kind of work we are. Uh, but I have to assure our listeners that we are going to do the best that we can for both aspects of your claim. It's not that we work with one and then in isolation with the other. Our teams are always speaking, engaging, you know, c- collaborating together for these exact issues. And you know, there are situations where it's not clear, John. And 
it can be a tough thing to navigate if you're dealing with a disability claims, you know, dealing with your doctor, dealing with the insurance company, and then also wondering, what do I do with my employment throughout all of this? So please, if this is sounding familiar, you're not certain, don't hesitate to contact us. We will talk this all through with you. And if we can, we absolutely will. Um, And we will consider whether it makes sense to pursue one or more of those claims, either at the same time, one after the other, uh, what have you. We'll do that strategy discussion with you so that you can be informed and empowered by your choices and options. And then you decide, look, do I want to do this? Do I want to pursue it? Do I not want to? At the very least, at least you'll have a full picture and not be left in this unfortunate situation that this woman has been in now where she was under the impression that she could still pursue her employer for some kind of a severance. uh, And that door appears to be closed, at least from my assessment in my call with her, which is unfortunate, John. I don't like that when I can't help people. Yeah, it's that that word assumption and assuming that's going to uh, sink the ship quite often. Again, that's why we always say at the beginning of the show and throughout, just make a phone call. Have a quick chat with tomorrow. It'll take you a minute, two minutes to realize if you should still be on that phone or not. And uh, to do so, 1-855-821-5900. This is one of those areas where you don't want to navigate this alone, man. You need people to at least give you some advice off the top. And if you need to carry through, you uh, you should for sure. If you got uh, nothing else you want us to uh, hammer off the top tomorrow, we can get us some email but it's uh, it's all your choice pal what do you think absolutely yeah let's get into some email mm-hmm. john that's, that's okay. a good good place to go first one is uh marlene again any time for you as well doesn't have to be during the show help at disabilityrights.ca. marlene says hey tomorrow on my last phone call with my case manager she asked me what's uh, what stresses me like most people suffering from anxiety and depression i told her if i get pushed or pressured now i've gotten calls from the case manager and the health consultant they both left me messages saying if i want to discuss or have any questions i should call is this a trick? I'm not planning to call as I have nothing to discuss, but should I be calling? Also, want to mention that my two-year mark is coming up for the change in definition. That's happening in a few days. Oh, a lot to unpack here, Marlene. I really appreciate the email. And, you know, it's, it's a tough situation to have mental health claims that are tied to stress and pressure. And that's what she's describing to us, John, in her email. And I can only imagine what it's been like dealing with the insurance company when that is really the core of your health issue. And so, you know, she asks us, is this a trick about calling the insurance company? Well, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a trick. Um, You know, the insurance company is required, at least the adjuster, to do some vetting of your disability claim. You know, that is part of their role and their job to contact you, consult with you, understand what your health issues are, and really canvas with you, you know, what are you doing to get better? You know, where are you at from a recovery perspective? Um, But those approaches can be a little bit uh, strategic, I would say. I have seen in situations where, you know, the insurance company or the adjuster sort of goads you into something and then you may say something and that's ultimately used against you to decline your claim. Yes, that does happen. You know, is it um, with intention? I, you know, even a great right. lawyer like myself or my team, we're never going to necessarily be able to prove that, John. But there are certainly strategies at play. And I think that, unfortunately, with mental health claimants, that can be really, really tough. 
uh, it's tough for adjusters who have no background in mental health claims to actually adjudicate these claims and to do so in a, you know, empathetic and fair way, um, you know, just not knowing how to deal with mental health claimants, that's tough. And then you add the additional element that they are also tracked in terms of how much adjudication they're doing, contacting you and so on. And it puts them in a difficult spot, I would imagine. Not that I'm sympathetic with their job whatsoever, John, because mm-hmm. the goal really is to cut you off. And so I think what might be happening in Marlene's situation is what she said at the end of her email, which is, look, my two-year mark is coming up. Um, you know, what What do I do in a situation like this? Let's talk about this for our listeners. When that threshold, that test change is happening, when the the insurance company has to look now, not only at whether or not your health is preventing you from working at the job that you were doing at the time you stopped working, but now after a couple of years of benefits, the test becomes, is there anything you can do, anything in the world for which you've got some minimum requirements in terms of education and training and experience? And with that, it would put you into a job that you could do that would give you roughly what you were getting as your LTD benefit. And that's the assessment that it sounds like the insurance company is doing. And inevitably, I see, John, at those phases and stages of a claim, the adjusters become much more, I would say, aggressive in their adjudication tactics. They call more frequently. They're doing a lot more vetting. Um, They really are looking for ammunition to justify closing the claim because that's you know once they have you past that two-year mark it becomes that much tougher for the insurance company to justify cutting off your claim so this is why we see a lot of claims being ended at that two-year mark or right around that period of time and so you know if marlene still has ongoing health issues the best way to protect herself really is to ensure that her own doctors are commenting on where she's at from a health perspective if she really is having difficulty, anxiety and so on around the calls with her case manager, if it's actually triggering her anxiety symptoms, for example, John, well, I don't want to see that happen to anyone. And I think it is important for a doctor or a psychotherapist or some other practitioner to put that in writing to the insurance company and say, look, what you're doing to my patient is actually harming her. I've recommended to her that calls be, you know, scheduled, you know, two weeks in advance, let's say, or a week in advance, or that most of your communications be done via email so that it doesn't trigger the unfortunate consequences, right, tied to the mental health condition. So, you know, the fact that she doesn't, she's not planning on contacting the insurance company, as long as they don't need anything from you, that that's okay. But if they are requiring you to respond to things that they're asking you to do, then no, don't ignore them, but just make sure that you've got your own medical team engaged so that you're appropriately navigating what's happening at this stage, which is a lot of vetting of her claim so they can make that assessment for the any occupation test. And we often said that, you know, anybody, not just for in Marlene's case, but whenever you're talking with your adjuster case managers, just take contemporaneous notes. It doesn't have to be word for word like a like a court stenographer, but it, it should be basic notes of what happened every time you talk to them. So you have that evidence and send it to them and say, here's what we talked about today. Please respond with a check mark or whatever and, and, and leave it at that. But you, you, it's good to have that in your file too, right? Absolutely. And so especially if they are the questions they're being that are being asked of Marlene, let's say, or, uh, you know, the way the manner in which things are are navigating with her claim, if, if she's sort of feeling like, look, this is, doesn't sound like it's my in my best interest, then most certainly you should be sending yourself a quick email or confirming the conversation in an email back to your adjuster 
either way, you sort of want to document what's happening there so that in the event that there's any disconnect around what was said and what happened in your claim, you can rely on your own paper trail about what occurred. You know, it's interesting, John, I'll, I'll end, you know, this our segment with this comment. I, I was just reviewing a claims file yesterday on another matter, and I, re- I noticed that for the first time, the insurance company actually had a transcript of the call with the claimant. I'd never seen that before. Wow. So word for word, yeah. So they're getting <laughs> clever themselves about what's being uh, documented on their end. Uh, maybe that's something new for the future that's going to happen with other claims, but I was surprised to see that. So there you have it. Lots more emails and questions to go, but we've got to take a wee break, and we'll get into that right now. It'll give you some time to uh, to throw a question along to Tamar, and uh, she'll answer it. We'll try to get to it on this show. If not, she'll, uh, she'll do it at another time for sure. And uh, the phone call anytime to Tamar and the team, one 5900 help at We'll continue. This is the Disability Law Show. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Welcome back, Disability Law Show. John Scholes here again this week with my good pal Tamara Gopian. It is uh, Samfiru Tamarkin LLP. That is the firm you want to reach out to anytime. Tamar, she's got a great team behind her as well. And uh, always ready to have a chat, answer any questions when it comes to your uh, personal file or dealings with an insurance company for long-term disability insurance. And, uh, you know, it's nothing you might want to air, uh, you know, publicly, but that's okay. That's why you have a quick phone call with Tamar and her team, one 821 5900. There's a free and anonymous website where you can ask questions with a searchable question database called mydisabilityquestions.com and good old-fashioned email help at disabilityrights.ca as well. More uh, more emails on the way here shortly tomorrow. You know, other than uh, the case manager or adjuster, is there anyone else in an LTD claimant that an LTD claimant should expect to deal with during the claim? Yeah, really good question because Marlena actually mentioned that in her email in our prior segment. She said she was speaking to her case manager and her health consultant. So who is that? Yes, yeah. that could be someone, John, that they're speaking with over and above just the, the primary adjuster from the insurance company. So what insurers may do at different stages of a claim is that they may involve their own um, you know, consultants, as they call them, or rehabilitation folks to help uh, an individual get back to work. That's the goal, right? Because once someone gets back to work, then the insurance company can say, okay, look, we don't have to pay your disability benefit anymore. Good, we're sort of rid of this claimant and, and they're back at work, wonderful. It helps the insurance company from a financial perspective. And so they create another layer, another individual for uh, someone to deal with, which can be a little tricky because the health consultant or rehabilitation consultant although it sounds like it would be something that's really favorable, sometimes is is really not. Uh, so in other words, they are the individual that's the go-between yourself and the insurance company to assess what's happening from a health perspective. So what the health consultant will have is a little bit more background from a medical perspective or some a little heightened training on therapies and this kind of thing. Um, not necessarily in the disability that that this uh, that an individual has, but they've got a little bit more experience than the run of the mill adjuster, and they will coordinate uh, treatment or assessments and uh, really keep close tabs on what's happening from a recovery perspective. Usually, though, the health consultant or rehabilitation spe- specialist they come different terms, same idea. Usually, they get involved though, John, when there's a rehab plan in place. 
So in other words, this can occur when the insurance company has decided that they will be able to assist someone by actually setting up their own rehab uh, with their own treatment provider and having the individual attend there as opposed to someone that's recommended by their own doctors and pursuing a plan that the insurance companies put in place in conjunction with the adjuster and one of these consultants or, or specialists. And I can assure you that once you're on a plan like this, the goal come heck or high water is that you are going to get back to work at the end of it. And so it can be very aggressive, John. Many clients have said to me, oh, tomorrow I had an occupational therapy. And then two days later, I had physiotherapy. And then two days after that, I had to go see this other specialist. And then, you know, it was just um, complete and utter focus over a period of four to eight weeks on just getting better and then checking off boxes that functionally you're improving to the point where they can justify allowing some kind of graduated return or return to work. So, you know, those are the main people that you're going to deal with when you're on claim with a disability uh, company. You're going to have the adjuster and most likely at some point, some kind of a health consultant or rehabilitation facility. Uh, but other times you may also be uh, dealing with um an, an independent medical examination. So I want to talk about that for a moment because okay. it can be a little bit confusing for people. Like what's what's an independent assessment versus what you're talking about tomorrow? Well, so some insurers will decide that they actually need a, a medical opinion after having you assessed and have that opinion be, be done by one of their own experts. So that's called an IME or an independent medical examination. And mm -hmm. it's a little bit different than the, the kinds of things that we talk about because it's not for rehab purposes. It's just to give you a point in time assessment and an opinion. And it's really not, uh, you know, someone that's on your side, right? It's someone that's hired by the insurance company to make that opinion and assessment. And so, you know, a report will be generated and they'll actually meet with you and, you know, talk to you and assess you and uh, generate that report. So there are lots of other things that go into an assessment like that. It's a little bit different than the therapy and the, you know, recovery and occupational therapy and this kind of thing, John, because the focus for an assessment like this is really, you know, what are the symptoms? Is there a diagnosis? Does that diagnosis have restrictions and limitations? And do those restrictions and limitations actually prevent you from working? And so the expert or the assessing doctor will be provided like four or five very directed questions around whether or not you can work and you meet the criteria of total disability. So if you're in a situation like that, you know, you may really want to consider doing a couple of things. For one, making sure that your doctor knows that you're going to this assessment. Two, making sure that, you know, you might want to bring someone with you, but at the very least, taking some notes around what's happened in the assessment. How long did it take? You know, what were you asked? What, what tests did they put you through? Um, if it's a mental health one, obviously it'll be very different than a physical assessment. Either way, you want to keep some notes for yourself. And, and most importantly, how did you feel after? Because, you know, if they're going to push you to, to a point where it's not sustainable and you're sort of laid up in bed for a day or two afterwards, mm -hmm. maybe more, you kind of want to have that documented somewhere and then get a copy of that report. You know, whether the insurance company wants to send it to your own doctor or yourself, get a copy of it. You want to see if it's been documented accurately. Maybe there's errors in it. If there are, tell your adjuster, for example, and really get your, if it, if it comes down to say, look, you can't work, you want to get your own doctor to respond to something like this. So 
go into it knowing that this is someone that's paid for by the insurance company. They've got a job to do. There may be some bias involved. And so you protect yourself by, first of all, making your own notes and going into it with your eyes wide open, but also taking some follow-up steps afterwards if the opinion inevitably says, look, you can go back and, and be working in a situation like that. So, you know, that's a long answer to the kinds of people you might deal with during your claim, but most certainly it will include some kind of rehabilitation individual over and above your adjuster and possibly an independent uh, medical examiner. I don't think your answer was detailed enough tomorrow. I've got a problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. What do I you know, want? actually, you, you say that, but, you know, the other thing that came to mind is, you know, maybe you might deal with your adjuster's manager, you know, if, if something's yeah. being difficult, right? Like, so, there, you know, there's a lot of layers of individuals and sure. insurance companies who deal with these kinds of claims. So, you know, but most often you're just going to be dealing with that one adjuster uh, from beginning to end yeah. uh, for better or for worse. So there you have it. I want to get on to a, another email again anytime for you. Even when the show's not on, doesn't matter. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Cecily says, uh, hey, tomorrow I am currently on short-term disability, STD. When this switches to LTD, will I receive a severance package? It's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting, Cecily. No, no, not necessarily. You know, actually, uh, you know, that's maybe a bit of a myth that uh, just because you move on to long-term disability, that that necessarily means that your employment will come to an end. It does not automatically. Uh, and so, you know, it's interesting because it, it can be a little bit confusing, right? The, the disability policies are tied to your employment most often. The ones that we mostly talk about are group plans tied to employment. And so it is a contract that exists between your employer and the insurance company about coverage and, and what you've got benefits for and so on. And inevitably, some part of that will be short-term or long-term disability. But just because you're on disability doesn't mean that your employment necessarily comes to an end. Uh, it, the opposite is also not true necessarily, John, which is just because you're on disability doesn't mean that you can't be terminated. That can happen too. Rare, but it can happen as well. So let me explain this a little bit further for Cecily. You know, short-term disability sometimes is paid by the employer. What gets a bit confusing is that long-term is typically paid by the insurance company. Mm -hmm. And so what you want to make sure is that you've applied, or if you need to apply, you apply for both short-term and long-term, and make sure that transition is happening. And in the context of that, if you are approved for long-term disability, the insurance company will actually advise your employer, look, we've approved Cecily for long-term, uh, you know, we're going to continue to assess your claim, but for the, for the time being, it becomes a quote-unquote approved disability leave. So in a context like that, I find it most employers will resist actually bringing your employment to an end. They'd much prefer to see how, you know, things progress. You know, they don't necessarily want to open themselves up to a potential human rights claim, for example, if, you know, they're, you know, terminating you on the basis of disability or some other thing without getting too much into the weeds of the employment issues that might come up. And so if that's your situation, the employer will be kept apprised. But if your employer contacts you while you're on disability, then please don't hesitate to respond to their inquiries because you can't just assume that the insurance company is going to keep them apprised. And your employer is entitled to know, look, is there a prospect of you to return back to work in the next two, four, three months, what have you. And so that update can be provided by Cecily directly to her employer. And then the employer will make some choices around employment at that point. Uh, but we've got a whole other show around that, John, so we won't get into that too much. 
Let me ask you this. If someone loses their job, never mind severance back, if they lose their job, will get LTD benefits. Does that put their LTD claim in jeopardy? You know, that's a good question. Um, so no, not necessarily, actually. Uh, because it is a, it, because your right to the disability benefit crystallized or you had coverage while you were employed and the insurance company has approved your disability claim, just because you lose your job doesn't mean you're going to lose your LTD benefits. The disability insurer has to make their own assessments around whether or not you are totally disabled and still meet the requirements and criteria under the policy, regardless of whether you are job attached. But it does pose an interesting wrinkle because we talk about this, John, in the first two years, the insurance company is going to be looking at whether you're totally disabled from your own occupation. Typically, that's the test. And so if you're no longer job attached, in other words, if you no longer have your own occupation to return back to, would that influence or should that influence what the disability insurer does with your own occupation claim? You know, their policies typically say the availability of work doesn't impact our decision on total disability. Sure. But courts have a more nuanced approach on this, John, because it, it doesn't stand to reason that you're going to say to someone, look, we don't think you're totally disabled. You should be able to go back to your own occupation, but we know full well you don't have a job to go back to. So we're mm -hmm. going to cut you off and let you go, right? You know, that doesn't stand very well uh, in front of the eyes of the court. And I think that there are some equities there that favor a claimant in a situation like that. So it can be an interesting dynamic to navigate. Um, I think the main message here is that one is not necessarily tied to the other. Just because you lose your job doesn't mean you lose your benefits and vice versa. Okay. So, you know, if you're not certain, please don't hesitate. Reach out to us. Have a chat. Free consults, as John will tell you. And uh, yeah, exactly. With that, we'll get to a uh, get to a short break. You want to reach out anytime, as Tamara says, have a discussion, 1-855-821-5900. Email address we always use, just use it there. It is help at disabilityrights.ca and yet another place for you to ask questions anonymously, of course, mydisabilityquestions.com. More of the show coming up. Take a short break. Get right back to it. So feel free to, uh, to reach out in that time. Disability Law Show continues. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Hey, welcome back. Disability Law Show. Good having you uh, along with us. You want to reach out anytime to Tamar. She's got a team standing by as well. Emails, phone calls, they do it all. And that would be one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Mitch, you are up next. Mitch writes in, says, hey, tomorrow I am a few months out from reaching two years on LTD. The insurance company has referred me to their health care provider to do an assessment and further treatment. Uh, I am offered depression. An occupational therapist in the return to work department contacted me, and I got to call him back. Is the insurance company trying to assess my condition or force me back to work? See, the panic has already set in, right? I know. Poor Mitch. Yeah. <laughs> Look, a little bit of both, Mitch. I think it's a bit of both. You know, they do have um, some obligation, of course, as a disability insurer to do proper vetting, right? So they do have to assess to see where you're at right now from, you know, your, your health perspective. He talks to us about his mental health condition. Um, and so I'm actually interested what kind of assessment they're actually going to do of him. But in any event, the, you know, yes, the insurance company is certainly on a path. Uh, they could be having a little bit of tunnel vision at this point if he's getting close to that two-year mark. 
Uh, so they're going to have them assessed and that assessment hopefully will facilitate, um, not hopefully from Mitch's perspective, but from the insurance company's perspective, they're going to try and meet that goal to say, yep, now we've got this assessment that says you're good to go and we're going to put you back to work. So really tough in terms of navigating that because if you've still got ongoing symptoms and the, the symptoms are mental health related, again, you want to have a really clear understanding, John, what is being assessed? What's what's he going to be asked to do, like r- run a half mile or something like that? Because, yeah. you know, j- yeah, just because you, you can do that, um, depression is kind of funny that way. It doesn't necessarily work uh, in the way that we think about other types of disabilities, like physical disabilities. So look, I think if I'm Mitch, you do want to cooperate with the insurance company's efforts to adjudicate your claim, okay? You do have a duty as a claimant to uh, facilitate and cooperate and be open with them as to what's happening from a health perspective. But that, you know, goal and and duty is mutual. So the insurance company also has the same uh, good faith obligations to you, Mitch, to be open and disclose to you, look, this is where we're at in terms of a path. You know, we're going to have this assessment. We expect this assessment will say X, and we expect this is the plan to get you, you back to work in this period of time. So if that's the situation, again, I think it makes sense to ensure that you've got your own medical team in place who are providing uh, up-to-date information on your health and what's happening. If the assessment uh, is concluding that this is a situation where you can go back to work, again, you want to have a clear sight line to that report or assessment and make sure that you're talking to your own medical team and health providers around, okay, these were the assumptions that were made, were the assumptions correct? These were the conclusions that were made, here's why this was correct or not correct, and make their own assessment. Have your own doctor weigh in on whether a return to work makes sense right now, two months from now, six months from now, whatever the case might be, or whether more treatment is needed. This is the thing, you know, John, with depression, I find more often than not that some of my my clients have uh, treatment resistant uh, depression conditions or treatment resistant mental health issues. And so they've perhaps been under care for a number of years maybe that care requires some you know medication and counseling and and other treatment methods but still find themselves after some years of treatment not back to a point where they're functional enough to be able to get back to work it's unfortunate but it is a harsh reality with mental health and because of that harsh reality you want to make sure that that is being put down on pen and paper not on a piece of napkin, like an actual document with a couple of paragraphs with some context around where you're at from a health perspective. So that when the insurance company is making their assessment on whether or not they think they should be cutting off your claim and sending you back to work, they've got a complete picture. You want to make sure they have everything and that everything is up to date. You know, it, it brings to mind, John, a, a call that I had with an individual a couple of weeks ago where... Uh, he had a very nuanced mental health condition, uh, you know, bipolar disorder, a variety of other underlying health issues. And traditional mental health treatment had not been effective for him. So actually, in partnership with the insurance company, he managed to access very specific mental health treatment for his condition. But as insurance companies do, uh, they started getting tired of the fact that he wasn't making enough progress after three months. So they decided in their wisdom in that situation to say, okay, we're cutting you off. Uh, We think you're good enough now with these three months of treatment. 
the treatment provider repeatedly kept telling the insurance company, no, 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 he's not ready to get back to work, but they refused to listen. And what happened? They not only cut off his monthly disability benefit, but they also stopped paying for the important treatment that he needed. So he had a massive setback. Um, you know, he's struggling now, his family doctor saying, look, you really do need this treatment, but he can't afford the treatment, John. So it's put him in a really, really tough spot. So look, I've spoken to him, spoke to his wife, we are going to get involved in a, in, in a claim for him, we are going to pursue the insurance company for this. Uh, but the tough part is that he's just not getting the social the supports that he needs to get him to the point the path that he was on, which was a good one, it just wasn't fast enough for the insurance company and they were getting impatient and they just wanted to cut him off. So that's unfortunate that things like that happen, but you do have rights in situations like that. And I don't want people to feel as though just because they have a mental health claim, it doesn't mean it's not a valid claim. It absolutely is. Just because the insurance company doesn't have the sophistication to deal with it, doesn't mean they're right at all whatsoever. If your own team is supporting that you are disabled and not able to work, that gives you a right to pursue further benefits against the insurance company. Let's uh, extend our uh, last break. So our last segment. So I want to take a short break here. We got more emails and stuff to uh, to discuss. In the meantime, I'm going to give you some contact information, like we uh, we always do. It is help at disabilityrights.ca. Email my disabilityquestions.com. That's a free and anonymous website to ask exactly that disability law questions. And then the phone number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Call that anytime as well. We'll take a short break, and more disability law show is coming right up. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. All right. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. Thanks for hanging in. If you want that uh, contact number for Tamar and her team, here it is. one 855 215900. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. Moving down to Sean. Sean is up next. Says, thank you for taking uh, my email tomorrow. Uh, at the one-year mark of my LTD, my insurer asked me to apply for CPPD. They said the test is much harder to get approved for CPPD, and if I was denied CPPD, my LTD benefits would continue. I got approved for a Canada Pension Plan disability due to my mental health issues on my first application. Do you recommend also telling the insurer I've been approved for the disability tax credit, as that is not an easy thing to get approved for under mental functioning as an adult? Uh, I'm hoping they back off a bit. <laughs> Everyone knows, right? I, I always hope they back off a bit, John. <laughs> <laughs> I always do, but you know, they just don't. They don't until you've got a lawyer and a legal claim, and even then, John. But but at least it becomes my problem for my clients. But look more specifically to what Sean talks about. He talks about two really important uh, social supports. One is the uh, Canada Pension Plan Disability Benefit, or CPPD, and mm-hmm. the other is the Disability Tax Credit. They both are uh, features of uh, benefits that are available to individuals who have a severe and prolonged disability. Those are the two criteria or the, the test to meet right. in order to be approved for CPPD. Uh, and again, a similar for the Disability Tax Credit And it's essentially the government recognizing that you've got a disability that not only impacts your day-to-day and your ability to work, but also is not expected to resolve tomorrow or next week or even a year from now. 
uh, and these types of profiles are the individuals that we help day in and day out and encourage to actually pursue these social supports when the profile makes sense and when they have the medical support that that it doesn't look like a return to work is going to happen in any capacity, whether their own occupation or any occupation. But there's one insurer in particular who routinely at that one year mark, like Sean describes, will send out the CPP disability package. Okay, and they'll send this out and they'll say, look, you must apply. It, it, the policy doesn't say you must apply though, John. It just says that if you don't apply, but we think you should, and if we think that you're eligible, we're gonna take a credit for whatever you're, you're gonna get for CPP disability. So my advice usually is, look, you might as well apply. Uh, especially, like I said, the profile makes sense and, and you'll you'll likely meet the criteria as Sean has. A lot of doctors don't seem to be understanding very well about the CPP disability. So, you know, don't hesitate to access, you know, we've got a, a good memo on our website, uh, ltdfaq.ca, and, and we've got a good one on CPP disability. But in any event, you want your doctor on board and make these claims. And so when you are approved, you absolutely want to tell the disability insurer that you're approved, because I agree with Sean that getting approved is a tougher test, arguably, than the test to meet for disability benefits under the insurance company's plan. Because let's not forget, their test is, are you totally disabled from your own occupation or any occupation? When you think about words like severe and prolonged, which is the test for CPP disability, those words just have a lot more gravitas. You know, they're uh, more significant, I would say, even though insurance companies like to argue against that, it, it does, it absolutely does. And so it can help uh, persuade the disability insurer most certainly that this is gonna be a longer claim than just sort of a one or two year thing. Um, you know, will they uh, back off? Uh, they may not, they may still try, even if you're CPP approved, to continue to actively adjudicate your claim and see whether or not there's an opportunity to close it out because that is what they do, okay? They are profit making and that is that is their job as an adjuster sure. to do that. So in the context of that though, uh, you do wanna make sure that you're transparent because if you are not approved, let's say you're not approved for CPP disability, then you want the insurance company to be aware of that so that they are not taking any sort of credit because they can estimate, right, the, the, the CPP disability and take that as a knockoff against the LTD benefit. And so you don't want them doing that. Now, will that mean that they'll be more emboldened to potentially cut off your claim? possibly, but I don't think it changes much one way or another because at the end of the day, as they, the insurance companies like to remind us, the test is different. Just because you're approved for one and declined for the other doesn't mean you're, you shouldn't pursue one or both. I think in circumstances like that, you should. Uh, and like I said, for the very reason that it will supply further financial support as you are going down this path of total disability and trying to figure out, look, am I ever gonna get to a point from a health perspective that I can achieve function enough to get back to work and, and get into the uh, employment world once again? There's been, of course, over the last two years with COVID-19, uh, you know, there's been physical disabilities, of course, that's obvious, but there's been a real increase in mental ones as well, people being off work for that uh, that type of reason. Do adjusters, insurance adjusters, do they treat mental health disability claims differently or the same as, as physical ones from what you've seen over the last couple of years anyway? Yeah, really, really good question, John, because you're right. We've seen a, a really significant rise in mental health conditions and you know, I think that insurance companies, unfortunately, still have a bit of a one size fits all um, 
approach to disability claims. And so it can be a very box checking kind of thing. Okay, do I have the medical check? You know, are they on the right treatment plan? Check. If they're not, we're going to decline. If they're not, we're going to, right? Um, and physical disabilities uh, are frankly a lot easier to diagnose. They're a lot easier to assess and they are a lot easier to treat um, and actually see a point of resolution. Thinking about things like a broken arm, for example, John, I'm, I'm not talking about um, situations like chronic pain, but just if it's a concrete injury that requires a specific treatment plan and at the end of that, you should be good, well enough to good to go much, much easier for insurance companies to apply, you know, their criteria to adjudicate a claim like that and get it to a point where they can comfortably return you back to work. With mental health, it's not, it's no two mental health claims are typically the same. They don't follow the same kind of patterns and they can be a little bit outside of what the typical protocol is that's being given to these adjusters on how to adjudicate them. And I do think that they require a lot more empathy, understanding, sophistication, and more of a holistic approach. Uh, so it's not simply like take this pill and you'll be good in six months. It doesn't work that way. And in fact, many of my mental health clients um, who, who struggle with mental health rather have a relapsing and remitting. So it might get a little bit better than it might get much, much worse than better yeah. again. And I don't, I don't find the insurance adjusters are sophisticated enough to really understand how to navigate claims in, in that kind of a setting. Uh, certainly not as well as uh, they do, uh, you know, when it comes to a physical disability, unfortunately. Let's see if we get uh, Betty's question in here. She says, hey, tomorrow I'm 51. I've worked uh, most of my life as a pharmacy assistant. I'm on my feet a lot, and the job is really fast-paced, dealing with lots of customers. Unfortunately, my health forced me to stop working about 18 months ago. I have a compression fracture in my back that is causing me pain, a lot of instability. I've had several falls and sprains, and my doctors are still trying to figure out what's wrong. The insurance company accepted my STD short-term disability claim but denied my LTD claim from the start. They're saying I could do another job. Does this make sense? I've appealed... Oh God, I've appealed three times now, and I keep getting a big fat no from the insurance company. Is this when I should be hiring a lawyer? Already, we're getting back to the back end of our our, our time here today. But yeah. yes, you should be hiring a lawyer. Do totally. not continue to appeal. And I think what's happening is that she may have an any occupation test right from the start of her policy. So I got to wonder whether her policy is quite unique and it's the insurance company not looking at her own occupation, but any occupation. Uh, but I I'm going to give Betty a call, John, maybe have a further chat with her about this one uh, as we get to the end of our show today. Is it uh, is it common for to have that any occupation right off the top of, of your policy? You know what? It really isn't. And so, you know, this is why it's sort of unusual. I'd like to see Betty's policy and what it actually t says. Um, it could be that her decline letter actually gives the definition of disability, uh, but it's not usual to have an any occupation test right from the start. And it because it is a tougher test to meet, John, it can be that much more difficult to actually have your claim approved even when you've had your short-term claim already approved and you're just trying to transition to long-term and not understanding why the insurance company is not approving in a situation like that. 
Betty, you're awesome. Hope we answered part of your long question, but you can always reach out now that we're done. In fact, you should always, especially in your situation. And uh, to get a hold of Tamar anytime and her team, they're always ready. 1-855-821-5900. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. And again, that other forum for you to ask questions anonymously and free, of course. It's called mydisabilityquestions.com. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.